Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Special episode. Thank you, racists. There's a very old Jewish joke that I find quite funny. And although I'm not very good at telling jokes, I thought I'd share it with you. Maybe I like it because it's set in a primary school. Um, it goes a little like this. Um, Moisha Cohen lives in County Tipperary. It's not the most thriving Jewish community in Ireland. And as a result, given that there's no non-denominational schools in the entire county, he has to go to his local Catholic school. He is, of course, opted out, so he sits at the back of the class colouring, as one does. Anyway, on one day, in the religion class that he's opted out of, his teacher offers a prize to anyone in the class who can name the greatest man ever in history. Now, the prize is a huge bag of the best sweets one can eat. She shows the class the sweets and everyone there wants them. So every hand in the class is up wanting to be the winner. So the teacher starts and she chooses Mary, Mary first. And Mary says she thinks it's Isaac Newton because he discovered gravity and lots of other important scientific discoveries. And the teacher says, thank you, Mary. That is a good answer. Isaac Newton was a great man but he's not the greatest man in history, not the answer I'm looking for. So poor Mary doesn't win the sweets. Joseph is up next. Who do you think it is? asks the teacher. And Joseph is fairly confident. And he says, Martin Luther King. Now the teacher tells him that indeed Martin Luther King was a very, very great man and hugely influential in civil rights. But it isn't the answer she's looking for. So poor Joseph he doesn't win the sweets either. Well, the teacher then sees Moisha. Even though he's opted out, his hand is up at the back of the classroom. And she's in that awkward situation that, you know, he is opted out, but she doesn't want to exclude him. So she says, right, I, I better ask him. All right, Moisha, who do you think the greatest man in history is? And without hesitation, Moisha says, Miss, it's Jesus Christ. Whoa, the teacher is surprised. And she says, yes, yes, Moisha, that that is right. Um, And quickly hands in the bag of sweets. Anyway, at break, the kids, they're all outside and Mary and Joseph and the other kids go up to to Moisha and say to him, Moisha, what happened there? You're, You're Jewish, you're opted out. Your people don't believe in Jesus Christ. What happened? Moisha turns sticks a blackjack in his mouth and says, I know, I know, but business is business. Anyway, I told you I'm not very good at telling jokes. And and to be honest, um, when it comes to jokes, one of the things about jokes is that when you look at most jokes, really, there's often a hidden layer built into them around stereotyping. And in this case, the Jewish kid is being entrepreneurial, as would be the stereotype of Jewish people. However, This special episode is not a joke. And despite its jovial title of Thank You Racists, um, it isn't jovial at all. In fact, it's quite a serious topic. 
And on Friday, the 9th of July, I was subjected to a racist attack on Twitter. There was fabulous outpouring of support from friends and colleagues offering their sympathies they reported the tweets but also many of them asked what they might be able to do to help so in this special episode of if i were the minister for education i hope to be able to answer that question hello hello you are welcome to this special episode of if i were the minister for education this is simon from onshot.net Uh, For those of you who have never listened to my podcast before, let me introduce myself. My name's Simon, Simon Lewis, um, and I've been in the teaching game for about 20 years. Uh, I was born in Dublin, and I now live in Carlo with my wife and child. And most teachers will probably know about me because I'm a bit decent at computers, uh, it's my background, and I've probably trained most teachers in the country in some aspect of technology and education. And during lockdown, uh, um, I suppose at the start of lockdown, I gave some webinars to principals about adapting their school from being an offline entity to being an online one. Um, Reaching about about 1,500 principals, about half the principals in the country. Um, However, apart from, you know, the technology end of things and apart from maybe writing poetry and randomly for uh, supporting Sheffield United of all teams, there's nothing particularly interesting about me. Except, maybe, for the fact that I was raised in a Jewish family, making me the only primary school principal from an ethnic minority in Ireland. Now, the Jewish bit isn't the interesting bit, of course. Although some people find that interesting, that there are, in fact, Irish Jews. Um, in fact, there's over, you know, in fact, it was the title of a, of a short story collection by David Marcus, a famous Irish Jew, uh, and it was known as Who Ever Heard of an Irish Jew, which did fairly well for him. However, there are over 3,000 Jewish people living in Ireland, and you probably know a few of them if you think about it. For example, in politics, you may have come across names like Alan Shatter, Robert Briscoe, and later, his, uh, later Ben Briscoe, Gerald Goldberg in Cork, and Mervyn Taylor, um, all of those involved in politics in Ireland. Um, although the most famous Jewish person of all time, I suppose, uh, who was also Irish, was uh, called Leopold Bloom from Ulysses, and he actually didn't even exist. Um, however, most of us, uh, most of us who are raised Jewish, are just everyday people doing everyday jobs, and I'm one of those everyday people. However, Not only am I the only Jewish heritage person who is a principal of a primary school in Ireland, I'm actually the only primary school principal from an ethnic minority in all ethnic minorities in Ireland. To me, that's interesting. But more about that in a little while. And we'll talk about racism for a few moments. Just why not? As I said in the introduction, I was subjected to a racist attack um, a few weeks ago. And I'm not the first primary school teacher in Ireland to have experienced a racist attack. Um, Although there are very, very few minorities in the teaching game, let's say, most of us have experienced racism. Whether that's people like Emer Foley, the RTE School Hub presenter, or Anahita Asgard, the founder of the LSTEP group and well-known advocate for teachers of EAL, They experience overt racism far more than I do. I guess because I don't look like a minority, it took a group of racists from the National Party almost 20 years to find me and make overt racist statements about me. People of colour tend to get it all the time. 
it doesn't take 20 years. I was alerted to the tweet that was sent uh, by one of their members, an anonymous account as they often are, uh, and the tweet was screen grab picture. It was a screen grab picture of my Twitter profile, so my picture, my face, with the following caption. This anti-Catholic bigot has an interesting, in inverted commas, face, cheerleads for the reptilian Bachik and wants to destroy your children's education. These people are scum. Wake up, you fools. The tweet was from someone who called themselves Professor Edward Conway. Good name. And it was replied to by a number of people with questionable qualifications of PhDs and so on. Such is the way of the far right. One comment which got some people's attention was from a guy called Bane. Um, Bane's the name, to give him his full name. Bane replied asking, Is he Irish? He has a certain Eastern European ghetto look. I don't think one has to think very hard about what Eastern European ghetto look actually means. What I'm going to do is I'm going to break down the tweets because it's easy to react to hateful messages without reading them properly. So I'll start with the first bit. I'm being accused of being an anti-Catholic bigot. Okay. As most people know, I'm not anti-Catholic. It would be very hard to live in Ireland and be anti-Catholic, to be honest with you, even in these secularised days. I don't care what people do in their free time. I really don't care what people do in their free time, whether that's praying to Jesus Christ or dressing up as a banana and playing the ukulele. As long as I don't have to do it, then I'm happy for people to live their lives as long as they are not causing any harm to each other. In fact, I sometimes, you know, I mean, I... I, I mean, I'm not anti-Catholic, I'm not anti-religion in any way, shape or form. And just because I don't particularly identify as having, you know, a religion anymore, I, as I said, I was raised Jewish, but I, I haven't practised far longer than I, uh, than I did practise. I, I stopped um, believing in God when I was 14 and haven't, and I haven't ever really uh, come about, uh, come back to it. Uh, and I don't, I, I, I don't think I will at this point. But I do envy people with a strong faith. I, I, I genuinely do. I'm not, I'm not against them. I don't think there's. I don't think people who do have a strong faith are, are stupid in any way, shape, or form. As 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 often as people without a faith are accused uh, of thinking. I know, for example, when my mother was dying, and and she died very very young. She was only in her early fifties, that she was at peace, believing that she would go to heaven, and ultimately for her, life would continue in a different way. Now I know I won't have that peace. That, that knowledge, that assurance inside of me, I guess. Um, however, my mother knew that too. She knew I, was, I, I didn't have that. And to be fair to her, she never pushed her strong belief on me. Once, I suppose, I hit my teens in a way. When she, once, once, I guess, <laughs> I'd done my bar mitzvah, I suppose. Uh, maybe she felt she'd... I, I suppose in Judaism, when you make your bar mitzvah, you become a man or you become a, a, an adult, so let's say. Well, bar mitzvah, you become a man because women do, don't make a bar mitzvah. They, they make a bat mitzvah. Uh, but uh, anyway, that, that aside, once I hit my teens, um, she, I, I guess, she was supportive of it. And in fact, she be, almost became a bit of an ally or an advocate for my atheism. Um, even if she didn't agree with me. And it was good that we had that relationship. We didn't agree with each other, but we had a mutual sort of respect uh, in it. And when I was doing my Leaving Cert um, back in 1997, um, which to me doesn't sound like a long time ago, but to some of you, maybe you weren't even born, um, there was a Jewish festival called Shavuot, 
or Shavuos, uh, if you're uh, raised in a particular uh, thread of or branch of Judaism. Shavuot is what I w- uh, would call it. Um, and it was to take place on the days of the English and maths leaving certain exams. Now, in Judaism, it's against the religion to work on a holy day, and Shavuot is a holy day. So all Jews in my class were told they would have to sit the exam on a different day with a different paper. Uh, obviously, they couldn't do the same paper. Now, I'd stopped by this stage in sixth year. I, I had stopped going to the prayer services in the morning in school, which were compulsory. Um, but uh, for, for quite some time, for the bones of a year anyway, I, I just stopped going. And I think the school must have turned a blind eye. But um, anyway, that aside, I, I was the only Jewish child, the only Jewish kid in my school, or student in my school, that refused to do the alternative paper on the basis that I didn't practice Judaism anymore and I wasn't going to risk taking a more difficult paper. Anyway, I think I think, I think I have to say, I think I was actually surprised when I got the backing of my family, who understood that I wasn't actually being anti-Jewish or anti-religion in any way, shape or form, or even being disrespectful. I simply wasn't going with the flow. I mean, I, I don't see that as disrespectful in any way, shape or form. Um, I just didn't buy the ethos of my school at that time that Jewish kids would not be able to sit the same paper as their, as their, as the rest of the class because of a festival I didn't believe in. Similarly, uh, I suppose just because I don't believe that schools should be patronised by church bodies doesn't mean I'm being anti-Catholic. Uh, I mean, that's where I'm actually going with this point. I knew, I, I knew I'd eventually have a point to this story. Um, but I just don't believe that religion should be imposed on people that don't wish to have it imposed on them. And just for the record, uh, I, I just going back to that story, the students in my class that did do the alternative paper reported that it was far easier than the one that I actually did in the end. So all you religious folk can put that down to divine intervention, I'd say. Anyway, next was my interesting face. I'm going back to the tweet. My interesting face. In other words, I don't look like a normal Irish person. Now, I think there's no other way of interpreting that as anything else but offensive. Even if I do have a terrible haircut in the photograph, I have since got a normal haircut, and uh, obviously my lazy eye. Um, I don't think he was referring to that. I don't think the professor was referring to that at all at all. Yes, my interesting face contains what some politely would call a Roman nose, slightly more sallow skin than the average Irish person. And yes, there is Eastern European heritage in there, but more about that in a minute. It's not the first time in my life my appearance has been mentioned and the odd time I have been told to go back to my own country. But in general, my appearance is rarely commented on, I have to say. And generally what it has been, it has not been for anything but racist reasons. Um, when, well, in a certain way. Actually, some people have commented on my appearance in non-racist ways. Um, I, in fairness, um, usually my, hopefully my wife has at some point said I looked well or something like that. Sorry. Anyway, let's, let's go on to the next part of the tweet. Next was the cheerleading for Ivana Bacic. Yes, I am a cheerleader for Ivana Bacic. Ivana Bacic, by the time you listen to this thing, I mean, I, pres- I presume most Irish people or most people living in Ireland know who Ivana Bacic is. She is uh, uh, now, um, as, as I'm recording this, a uh, recently elected uh, Labour politician uh, in the Dáil. She's made it to the Dáil Éireann um, at the third attempt, I think. Um, but uh, some of you may be puzzled by why he, this professor, accused me of um, cheerleading for Ivana Chabacic. Um, and might, you might be jumping to the conclusion that I was campaigning for, for her in the recent by-election and that I am a Labour supporter in some way or another. 
just just to put the record straight, and um, because this isn't the most important part of this, um, <laughs> I guess, of this tweet, I haven't voted for Labour for a very long time. Um, I didn't vote for them in the last few elections. Um, and I've spoken about that on my podcast before, and it would take far too long to explain. And this is a very long episode. I'll probably split it into two, to be honest with you. And to be fair to the professor, I have been asked to run in local elections by the Labour Party. Um, and my favourite reason for being asked uh, to run in the Labour Party uh, by the person that asked me was, I tick a lot of boxes. Now, I won't go into the boxes I was told I tick, but you can probably imagine what they were. Yes, racism works both ways. And given that those two things, uh, and given these two things, I'm sure you can gather that I wasn't campaigning for Ivana Bakchik in the election. Though, to give the professor another little bit of credit, I probably would have given Ivana an, at least a number on the ballot paper if I still lived in Dublin Bay South. And in fairness to her, her record on education is excellent. So I would probably be lying I would be lying, actually, if I said I wasn't actually happy that she got elected over the rest of the people that were in the race. I also apparently want to destroy your children's education. Well, well done, Professor. He's probably right. Because if you believe education should still consist of homework at primary level, the leaving cert, continuing to underfund special education needs and providing faith formation in schools, if you like all of that sort of stuff, yes, he is absolutely right. I am absolutely trying to uh, to destroy your children's education and finally i'm scum according to the dictionary that's a low vile or worthless person there you go indeed anyway twitter has since suspended this professor's account but the person that replied bane's name is still at large currently harassing the national library of ireland for running a drag story a time event for children twitter doesn't seem to think his tweets are inciting hatred Anyway, to answer his tweet, which, as you might remember, was a question, is he Irish? He has a certain Eastern European ghetto look. I must commend Mr. Bain on his beady eye. My family did indeed come from Eastern Europe, from a country called Lithuania, and they did live in a sort of ghetto, or a shtetl, to give it a more accurate description, a small community of Jews. Now, my ancestors weren't particularly liked by the Russian Empire. The Tsars was not happy with the Jews in, uh, in the Russian Empire, much for the same reasons that Bain and the Professor probably don't like me either. So they decided to enact, not Bain or the Professor, the Tsars in Russia, they decided to enact something called the May Laws in the 1850s, which would have meant my family would have been killed. <laughs> so, like many Jews in the 1870s, they escaped Lithuania with the aim of trying to reach the Golden Medina, America. And like a few hundred others, instead of landing in New York, they the story goes they misheard the captain saying welcome to Cork and thought they said he thought he said welcome to New York. Um, and uh, anyway, they, that that story isn't true probably, but most a lot of Jewish families would say that is the why the reason they ended up in Ireland. Anyway, they ended up in Cork, which is close but no Statue of Liberty. And four generations on, I came along, got the supports that uh, that were available at the time. Uh, fully enough, um, ironically, I think Labour Party were involved in. I'm not a Labour supporter, honestly. God, I feel like I am now. Um, anyway, they I got the support to be able to go into third level for the first time in my family's history and ended up being a teacher with a certain Eastern European ghetto look. Well done, Bain. You are right. As Roy Walker and Catchphrase used to say, say what you see. What he probably should have added was, unless it's a racial slur. But however, let's go on. 
Thankfully, a lot of people I know heard about the tweet and reported the people behind it uh, to Twitter who then decide whether to get rid of the account or whatever it might be. And many of them sent me lovely messages of support and I'm actually really, really grateful for those messages. I feel it's important for me anyway to acknowledge that even um, a lot of the organisations that I'm generally extremely critical of uh, took the time to contact me. Some of them phoned me, some of them emailed me, some of them even sent me Facebook messages. And it, it really does take a lot for someone to put aside their differences of opinion to directly contact someone who spends most of his time tearing them to pieces. I'd um, also a few well-known personalities contact me, which is lovely and all that, but I was heartened to see everyone coming together to distance themselves from such things and reporting the racism that occurred. Because yes, it was racism. And as jovially as I was sounding as I was describing the silly tweets, effectively, it was racist. And there's no excuse whatsoever for racism, as we all know. So I want to thank you uh, if you're listening and you did report these two twits um, to to Twitter. Um, gosh, Twitter and twit, they, they've a, there's a correlation there maybe, I don't know. Anyway, it's nice to know that nobody likes overt racism. And if I haven't replied to your message at this point, I'm sorry, I will get to them. I got lots and lots of messages. And if I haven't got to at this point, um, I suppose by the time you're listening, I may have missed it. And I will I will try and look back over my messages and, and come back to you because it is important for me to acknowledge everyone that got in touch because it, meant it they took you took the time to contact me. And when most people simply stated they were disgusted by what they saw or heard about, quite a number of people asked me if there was anything they could do. Is there anything I can do, Simon? It was a question that lots of people asked me. Well, my friends, if you ask me a question, you're going to have to be prepared for an answer. And folks, it's time to get uncomfortable. Apart from screen grabbing and sharing my image, Professor Edward Conway had screen grabbed a tweet of mine. Um, So he he didn't just take a picture of mine and call me a bigot or whatever it was. He also, also picked an example of one of my tweets, which seemed to offend him the most. And it wasn't my most recent tweet. In fact, he had to, you know, dig deep into my tweets and read a lot of them because I I write a lot of tweets that would offend him, I would imagine. However, the one he chose was interesting. It's a tweet where I commented on a church in Ballyfermot that was told to remove its pride flag during Pride Month in June. And I said in my tweet, I shared the news story and I said, and less than 10 kilometres away, a Catholic primary school in Dublin 9 was presented with a pride flag by the INTO, also one of only two Catholic shortlisted primary schools in the different family same love competition, was also in the same postcode. Now it wasn't my most recent tweet by any stretch of the imagination, so he must have gone looking for it. And this was the one he chose, um, he chose to highlight as me being anti-Catholic bigot with an interesting face. And it was actually interesting to me because it was a a tweet from me where I was once giving credit to a number of denominational schools who went against their school's ethos to accept a pride flag and enter the INTO LGBT plus groups competition. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with either of those things, um, this year, uh, and I'm recording this in 2021, the INTO uh, decided that they would present a pride flag to uh, one school in each district um, and they went to a range of different schools and presenting the pride flag to the school and many of them were Catholic schools who would 
you know, by their by their definition, and we'll talk about this later, have an anti-LGBT stance, LGBT plus stance, um, and uh, they accepted the flag and flew the flag and maybe had a ceremony uh, around the flag in some cases uh, with the president of the INTO, Joe McKeown. Um, so that was interesting and, and really, really welcome. And I wrote to um, Joe McKeown, the president of the INTO, uh, to congratulate them on, on the initiative. Um, but anyway, that aside, the Different Family Same Love competition, if you're unfamiliar with that competition, it's an annual competition run by the INTO LGBT plus group um, where children are asked to complete a project based on celebrating diverse families. It just says diverse families. Now, in its five year history, this is its fifth year, the most notable thing about it, and this is to me, and I see this, I see it because I'm sensitive to this, is that there are very few names on the winners list from the nominational schools. Now, this is an example of indirect discrimination. By the way, you know, just just think about it. When you have a competition, which is an LGBT plus competition, now, and you compare it to every other competition that's open to schools, and the winners seem to be all from a very tiny percentage of schools, it has to be called an example of indirect discrimination. This year, the INTO group even decided to reduce a shortlist and showcase uh, a shortlist of 20 uh, schools on, uh, because, uh, on the winners because all of the winners came from non, like not denominational schools. None of the winners, as I said, were denominational schools. And only two out of the 20 on the shortlist were Catholic schools. There were no Church of Ireland, no Jewish and no Muslim schools on the list. The two Catholic schools were in inner city Dublin. I mention that now because it's actually relevant to what I want to talk about throughout the rest of this episode. If we want to break it down as well, just so you know, because again, this might not seem, this might not seem too relevant to you. Let's break it down into percentages and numbers because sometimes that helps a little, it might not. And so here are the percentages. This is a percentage of denominational schools in Dublin that got shortlisted in the competition. 0.5%. Outside of Dublin, that figure drops to 0%. Now compare that to schools not affiliated by religious bodies. 12.5% of the schools that were, uh, of these schools were on the shortlist. One in eight of those schools were on the shortlist. If every school entered the competition, the chances of being in the shortlist was just slightly higher than 0.5%, about 0.66%. So multi-denominational schools punched above their weight 25 times higher than they should have done. And if you compare this to any, and I mean any other competition offered to schools, it doesn't happen. It never, ever happens in any other competition at all that all of the winners come from Educate Together or Community National Schools uh, or uh, multi-denominational Gwaelskolna. Um, it just doesn't happen. It never, ever, ever happens. And it never happens that 0% of the schools, uh, of Catholic schools, are in the, um, are in the winners. In fact, um, it, it's just, it's astonishing, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, anyway. I'll move on to, the, uh, to, to another example. And most of you won't remember this at all. In fact, it probably wasn't even on your radar. So, 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 so uh, you know, and uh, I mean, again, which says, says a few things. A few years ago, the Dublin Gay Theatre Festival put on the very first LGBT plus friendly play for children. And it was called Anti-Ben. 
Now, it was a lovely story and a lovely play about difference. That's all it was. There was nothing particularly, to be honest with you, I don't know why. It, I mean, I do know why it was an LGBT plus uh, play because uh, one of the characters uh, was LGBT plus. Uh, but that was the only thing. I mean, apart from that, the story was nothing. It wasn't, you know, <laughs> I don't, I, it wasn't, it, I mean, I, I'm laughing as I'm about to say this because it's a nonsensical thing to say. It wasn't promoting LGBT. LGBT. It, it was just a story about difference. It's, uh, I can't believe I actually said that sentence. I, I Obviously, you know, I don't mean it in, in a derogatory way. Uh, I'm slagging it off, basically. Uh, the three main characters in the play had something a little bit different about them. For example, one kid came from a one-parent household which made him different in his eyes to the rest of his family. However, the main character's difference, the one, I suppose, where the, where the story centred on, was her uncle performed in drag. And when he was in drag, um, he liked to be known as Auntie Ben to, uh, uh, to, his, uh, to his niece. Um, and the story was really about how we can all celebrate our differences, whatever they might be. And the play was offered out to every school in the country for free to go and watch it. There was no car charge and they even um, they even uh, agreed to, they even were able to fund schools to get them there. Now, how many denominational schools went to see that performance? Take a guess. Go on. I'm sure you know the answer. Yes, there was none. Of course there was none. Not one. The only schools that went to see this performance were Educate Together schools. Now compare this to any, and I mean any other school play or any other play offered to free to schools. It just wouldn't happen. As I said, after the racist tweets, many people asked me, is there anything I can do to help? And what better opportunity do I have or will I ever get than this? These Twitter ludromans knew nothing about me. And what they said was, of course, reprehensible. I mean, I, I recognise it as reprehensible. It's also really important not to take what they said lightly because while they're stupid enough to spout out this nonsense, they're not the only ones that think these thoughts. Not just the likes they received. You know, a lot of people liked their tweets too. And when you like someone's tweet, it does imply that you agree with what they're saying. Anyway, Justin Barrett, who's the leader of their party, the National Party, ran in the Dublin Bay South election, the area I grew up in. And before he was knocked out of the race in the third round, he achieved 194 votes, of which 183 of them were first preferences. He got three uh, transfers in the second round and eight in the third round. And who knows what other numbers people gave him. Um, but I can't imagine it was zero. He was knocked out by that stage. I can't imagine it was zero. I'd say... I'd say... He, if, if you counted whatever number of people added, um, I would be surprised if his numbers wouldn't have doubled anyway. I know it's not a huge number, but it's still, it's still something. And while most people are calling the results a humiliation and a sign that Ireland does not welcome racists, I definitely take a more cautious approach. We don't have to look very far back and can't forget that Peter Casey ran a presidential campaign, not deliberately, I imagine, by any means, built on a racist view or successful on a, because of a racist view. Now, I don't suspect that Casey himself held these views because I don't know the man and I've never asked him and I don't know. But for whether he likes it or not, many people voted for him because of his views on travellers that he expressed at that time. And sadly, for someone like me, Justin Barrett's campaign is also something that can be built upon if he finds the right scapegoat. He didn't find it yet, 
And all he is, is one scapegoat away from potential success. And then the rest follows. However, having said all of that, I'm not actually worried about the tweets. As racist, as reprehensible, and all they were, I'm not worried about those tweets at all. And friends, it's time to find out why I'm not worried about those tweets and why I could be so flippant maybe about them. Because the two professors don't prevent me from working in 97% of primary schools without me having to lie about upholding a particular set of religious values which counteract the values I was raised to believe, which is basically one less God than most of them. Those two professors don't coerce me into pretending to be a particular religion where I felt I had to bless myself and evangelise children to worship a guy that means nothing to me or sometimes them so much so that if I didn't become a missionary for that patron legally I could be fired from my job. Those two professors didn't force me to campaign for three years for the government to sanction one single school in my county that might respect my family and where my child would be treated with the same level of respect as his classmates and not othered by sending him to the back of the class to do colouring or play computer games or some other trite activity which subtly, subtly tells him that he isn't one of them. So no, those idiots can tweet all they like at me and they can puzzle away about my interesting Eastern European ghetto-looking face and they can call me scum all day long but it won't come close to the structural institutionalised racism I face every single day of my career since I naively decided to become a primary school teacher in Ireland, a job I absolutely adore and I've been lucky enough to finally lead a school that respects the whole of me, not just some of me, all of me. And whatever I believe, or possibly more accurately, because of the fact that I just happen to be quite by accident in this situation, just on a matter of accident. And I'll go through exactly what the accident of, the, of a Jewish heritage principle of an Irish school, how I managed to get there, is I act, and, and how you probably didn't uh, have to think about any of this. I am an accident of the product of my Lithuanian ancestors who accidentally ended up in Cork, as well as my Polish ancestors who accidentally found themselves eventually in Belfast due to business reasons, and by a range of completely random events, introduced my grandparents to each other who randomly produced children, who also randomly met, until one of my dad's sperm fertilised, producing an inexplicitly minute possibility of producing a child that they decided to raise in a particular faith which was their own, who also decided to become a computer scientist just in time for the dot-com bubble to burst, and on one random day where he had no job, I was offered two jobs, one as a web designer, and w- for which I was completely unqualified to do, and one as a primary school teacher, for which I was equally unqualified to do, but there was a huge shortage of teachers in the country at that time just by luck, so they were willing to take anyone at all with a degree and didn't ask any questions. Anyone at all, even a Jew. And that's how I ended up being a teacher who inadvertently found himself in a system that is set up to be institutionally racist. Racism doesn't just mean being overtly against people of colour, it is behaviour towards any race of people, including travellers, Jews, Muslims and so on. And it doesn't have to be overt. Nobody sticks up a sign outside their school saying no Jews, no Muslims, no travellers, but they may as well, certainly when it comes to staff. Yes, Those two professors on Twitter are simply a product of a system that has produced extremists. They're no different to the disaffected young Muslims who are brainwashed into thinking that killing Westerners is perfectly acceptable. 
They're no different to some Jewish adults who are brainwashed into believing that Zionism fully justifies the actions of the Israeli government in Palestine. I went through that system. I went to a Jewish school. I know it. We didn't play cowboys and Indians on yard. We played Jews versus Arabs. You can guess who the good guys were. However, most Jews and Muslims don't get brainwashed into doing unspeakable things as young adults. And although 90% of you went through at least eight years of faith formation, probably 14 years of faith formation, where you were indoctrinated into a system that believes certain core values, you probably don't hold the extreme views of these two professors who are tweeting, namely, Ireland should be a Catholic country. Gay people are disgusting. We should put people to death if they perform an abortion and so on. But when you look at what you teach, or sometimes more accurately, what you don't teach, when you look at your school policies, when you look at the language on your school's About Us page on your website, it's all there. What it says is, we are a proud Catholic school. We will welcome you as long as you accept the Catholic rules. If you do not, we have the right to exclude you from our school. Honestly, just read your policies carefully. It's all there. It's absolutely all there. For whatever reason, and let's call them historical reasons for some reason, Ireland's education system is almost a monopoly of church-controlled schools. The vast majority of them one faith. The same one as the racist tweeters by coincidence. And it has worked in a kind of a nice closed system. This kind of system of, you know, Catholic, uh, Catholic school patronage. So just think about your own progression uh, through to becoming a teacher. If, you know, if you're a certain age, I mean, let's say just before the postgrad route into teaching went mainstream. So if you're a certain age, um, you, 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 this is probably your story. You went to an, you probably went to a denominational school with children who were of the same background as you for about 14 years. And then you went to teacher training college, uh, which was run by the same institution that ran your school, which was probably also made up of almost probably probably 100%, close to, at least close to 100% of people from your own background. And then you probably got a job in a school, which again was controlled by the same patron, which is again filled with adults from your own background. Now, there's a famous scene in Ulysses, which I, I think I mentioned sometimes, uh, where there's a discussion about how Ireland is the only country in Europe that never discriminated against the Jews. It's a line that was said. And the response uh, when somebody says, uh, when, when the character says that in Ulysses is, well, that's because they never let them in. And that's the response. And to me, it's very apt in this case. If you didn't happen to be born by accident into a Catholic family, well, there was only one other religion in Ireland back then. And just as an aside, I remember my family telling another Jewish joke about Ireland. Uh, Ireland is made up of 95% Catholics, 5% Protestants, and the rest are Jewish. Anyway, uh, if you weren't, it's not funny either. Anyway, if you weren't Catholic, you likely had the route into teaching, um, similar route into teaching, except you went to a particular school, then you went to Rathmines to be trained as a teacher by that same patron body, and then you had people of your own background in there all along the way because, and then you mo because you most likely went to a Church of Ireland school or a Protestant school, and then you probably ended up in a Church of Ireland school as a teacher in the end. So a very similar route. It's not hard to see that the entire structure from the very moment one goes to school discriminates against anyone that is not from the faith of that school all the way from early years through to teacher training, through to teaching, through to your retirement mass. How could one possibly 
truly believe that the majority of the Irish education system is open in any way to anyone from a non-Christian background. This seems like a good place to end the first part of my um, episode. Uh, Thank you, racists. Um, And in the next episode, I'll continue and see, perhaps you aren't convinced at this point uh, where I'm going with this. So in the next half of this, I'm going to continue just giving examples of, you know, the general covert um, and institutionalized and maybe hidden racism that is out there for people like me um, and, and others uh, who, who uh, I've, I've mentioned before and uh, maybe something that we might be able to do about it. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you uh, in the next episode and until then, thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>